This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Consider a career with the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers. As a Boilermaker apprentice, you'll earn while you learn. We offer excellent wages and benefits. And as part of our no-cost, hands-on apprenticeship program, you'll learn from the best in state-of-the-art training centers and on the job. Become a union Boilermaker and get on your way to a great career. Visit Boilermakers.org or call 844-IBB-WELD. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause as we broadcast to you on another special weekend, J. Doc. Special because we're going to do uh, another one of our summits. I think we did, if I, uh, time's moving so quickly, but I think if I remember, we kicked off our summit series back in September. Um, and I'm excited today to have our Western Energy Alliance Summit. We've been talking about it on the show for the last couple of weeks. We've got a great lineup today. Yeah, we do, Joe, uh, and, and you're correct. So we, we started off with the, uh, the Shale Industry Summit. Of course, we did our Refinery Industry Summit. Now we're, we're fortunate enough uh, to, have, to, to be doing our Western Energy Alliance Summit. Um, we've got a fantastic show. Uh, to set the table, obviously, the Labor and Energy Show uh, is, is about better educating the public in layman's terms on common sense and energy as it relates to our traditional energy resources and industries, as well as to clear up any misnomers uh, the public may have uh, in order to protect our jobs, our employers, our resources, our industries, and ultimately we feel the public welfare. So uh, we say it and we say it every week, it's time to change the narrative. So we have an exclusive discussion with some of the Western Energy Alliance's top members that will help educate and inform our listeners on things they only thought they knew. So I want to welcome our guests in, into the program. Uh, Kathleen Tagama, President, Western Energy Alliance, which is, uh, Kathleen's been on the program uh, a, a couple of times. This will be your third time. She's no stranger to the broadcast. Uh, welcome face-to-face, uh, -face, uh, Kathleen. Great to be on. It's great to have you. We want to thank you for arranging this, of course. Chris Wright, CEO and Chairman of Liberty uh, Oil Field Services. Chris, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks, J-Doc. We're called Liberty Energy now, but. Liberty Energy. All right, perfect, got it. Uh, and, and, and having said that, Tim Tarpley, um, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs and Council at Energy Workforce and Technology Council. Uh, Tim, welcome to the broadcast. 
Glad to be here. Looking forward to the discussion. And Ricky uh, Renko Browning, president of Utah Petroleum Association. Ricky, welcome to the broadcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me in this important discussion. That's fantastic uh, to have you as well. So I want to start off by, you know, a little bit of an introduction. Um, can each of you provide a brief overview of your organizations, who you represent, the size of the, inter the industry's workforce, and the primary product your industry produces? We'll start with uh, Chris Wright, if you will. Yeah, hello. So Liberty Energy, we're a frack company. We frack about 15% of all the wells drilled in the United States and Canada. Um, so we, I would say we proudly deliver, help deliver 15% of U.S. oil and natural gas production. We employ about 4,500 employees. We work in 10 states, but we draw employees from 45 states. Tim Tarpley. So we're the National Trade Association for the Energy Services and Equipment Sector. Um, this sector, we represent about 400 companies. The sector represents 600,000 workers. These are folks all over the United States, all 50 states. And it's really the workforce of the, of the energy industry that, that our, our group represents. Ricky Renko Browning. Yeah, so the Utah Petroleum Association represents the interests of Utah's oil and gas industry across the service spectrum. So crude and uh, natural gas producers, five refineries and everything in between. We've got about 21,000 direct employees here in the state of Utah. And when we, we look at where we touch the rest of the economy, we're looking at um, about 100,000 employees here in the state um, involved in the oil and gas industry. And we really advocate for um, making sure that the state is still a friendly place to do business and that we don't fall into some of the uh, some of the ways of some of our neighbors in our national policy. And Kathleen Sagama, President Western Energy Alliance, if you will. Western Energy Alliance represents oil and natural gas producers in Utah, Colorado, Montana, all across the Western United States. Um, we, we represent producers and any anyone who's involved in um, producing oil and natural gas. So service companies like Liberty Energy and you know lawyers, financial companies, any anyone who is involved in that upstream petroleum production. So even though our name is Western Energy, we focus just on oil and natural gas. And we work with Ricky and Tim, um, they're uh, sister trade associations. They're actually not part of Western Energy Alliance, but we're a really coordinated industry. So we work with trades like Tim's at the national level, the state level like Ricky's. We happen to be a regional trade association, but we're all pulling in the same direction. And that is about promoting oil and natural gas production and consumption, because we believe that oil and natural gas uh, access to it is foundational for humanity, for human health, welfare, safety, and even environmental protection. Well, Kathleen, let me ask you a quick follow-up on that, just to, and you heard J-Doc mention this in the open about changing the narrative. You know, we've been at this show, the Labor and Energy Show, for, um, you know, for the better part of seven months now, with the objective of changing the narrative. And for the first time ever coming into a, a broadcast, I jotted down that I feel as though the public is starting to realize that they're starting to understand the narrative. They're starting to realize the importance of being energy independent versus not. Do you feel that? Do you see that from your perspective? 
I do. I think it started um, with the uh, president announcing he was going to cancel Keystone. And then shortly thereafter, on the East Coast, the Colonial Pipeline went down. And people understood, oh, my gosh, you know what? If I can't get gasoline, how do I get to work and school to better my life? Um, and so you saw a real shock there. And then there was the shock in Texas when people died because they didn't have access to 24-7 electricity. All of the renewables basically almost went down to zero. Um, so that then it kind of snowballed when the president, when gasoline prices started to rise and the president started to go to Russia and Saudi Arabia asking them to increase production. The public got it. So actually in my 18 years at Western Energy Alliance, I've never seen the public connect the dots so clearly. And I think that's why we're seeing this political environment right now. And it just keeps going. The releases of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, people are asking, why on earth is this administration trying to throw up obstacles to American oil and gas production and going to Venezuela and Saudi Arabia? Why wouldn't we produce it here? And, it, it, uh, and, and it's funny because we've talked about the... Uh, the incidents that you talked about, uh, Kathleen, they're no longer hypotheticals. Like you mentioned, uh, the pipeline, uh, you know, you, you talk about Texas. We don't have to sit there and, and talk about what could happen. We know what could happen because it, it did happen. And on the East Coast, uh, you know, outside of, uh, you know, a little bit farther down south, the lines were around the corner. If we didn't have the refineries in our, in, in our geographical region, we, we, we know what would have happened. So uh, that, that's a great point that you make. And so just so kind of everybody understands, you know, where we got into this uh, initiative, we, Joe Krause and I do the labor show in Philadelphia. I've been doing it for eight years. They called us in uh, when they were shutting down the, the, the PES refinery. Joe and I, uh, you know, regular members of the general public thought we, you know, everybody's, you know, uh, supportive of the environment and all that stuff, and uh, but not really educated because we couldn't f figure out why uh, a refinery that had 32 units out of 33, there was a fire in one of the units. Um, but you would have thought the whole place burned down. We couldn't figure out why, be only be because one unit was down. They were shutting the the refinery down, crushing jobs, crushing our region in regards to the tax base. And now we're importing the same products they used to produce there. So, and we had a lot of the employees on the show, a lot of the union representatives. We brought a lot of our labor leaders on and we went to connect with our political leaders. You know, those that we typically, they don't only answer, you know, answer our calls, they're typically calling us. And so, and it was crickets. And so at that point, it, you know, things didn't make sense. So we started to get involved and educated because this is an area where a lot of our unions have work, the refineries, a lot of the plants. Uh, and so we started to delve in. So common sense in energy became a theme with us. And the one thing that we learned, and what's great about this is, I mean, this is a very intellectual industry. Uh, you know, half the stuff that's going on in this country, the general public doesn't understand. So we've delved into this type of situ this situation, in a sense, trying to translate, okay, what's going on in the industry with our family, with our friends, by the way, with our labor community. And we've been able to move some mountains 
in regards to the support we have. We have something called Reggie Regional Greenhouse Gas Unit Initiative in Pennsylvania. If I walked outside my house and, and, and visited 20 of my neighbors, let's say 100 of them, if one of them knew what I was talking about, I'd be blown away. And yet it's about to you know, hit us like a tidal wave. So that's where we're coming from. And, 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 and so we're, this, in, this broadcast is going to take that sort of tone. We're trying to educate our, our public. And so let, let's talk a little bit about the abundance of natural gas and oil produced in your region. I want to talk about the magnitude of these resources uh, from an energy standpoint, obviously, uh, as well as from the standpoint of our economy, our jobs, uh, and across the board. Uh, I I'll, ask, I'll ask Chris first, if you will. Yes, and hey, I followed that refinery closure as well. We're going to have a crisis this winter and next year because of a shortage of diesel. And it's just these silly, short-sighted, sold as green initiatives, but anything but. We've shut down five refineries in the U.S. in the last few years, and we're going to pay hell because of that. The world is going to pay hell because of that. But look, the U.S., 15 years ago, were the largest importer of natural gas in the world, importer of natural gas. Today, we are the, the second largest, about to become the largest exporter of natural net exporter of natural gas in the world. Only Russia exports more natural gas than the U.S. right now, but we will pass them, I am sure, in the next 12 months. Uh, same thing with oil. We were the largest importer of oil in the world. Now we're a net exporter of oil, just barely on the oil front. But the resources are enormous. The development of them in this country means not only cleaner, reduced environmental impacts around the globe, because our production is cleaner than the other countries that are going to supply it. But of course, it's the jobs, economic opportunity in this country. And where you produce the energy, it's the cheapest. If you're, you know, we export natural gas all around the world, but of course it's expensive to cool it into a ship, ship it across the ocean. The people that receive that natural gas, the price for them is much higher than local industries. Local manufacturing in the United States benefits enormously from our low cost production uh, right here in this country. But as Kathleen opened and as you chimed in there, the attacks against our infrastructure, the Keystone XL pipeline, the inability to get more natural gas takeaway out of the mother of all shale gas reservoirs in the world, right there in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Ohio. This is a tragedy. New England, New England is getting a growing percent of its electricity from burning fuel oil. We don't, we don't burn oil to produce electricity hardly anywhere in this country except for Hawaii and New England. It's more expensive and dirtier burning than natural gas. But because of an opposition to pipeline expansion into New England, they made electricity more expensive, more unreliable, more uncertain going into if we have a cold winter. This opposition to energy infrastructure and hydrocarbon development is, it, it, again, it's just ill-informed. It's nonsense. I'll end with one last thing. The percent of total U.S. energy that we consume, so forget production now, the percent of energy that we consume in this country Natural gas and oil have the highest market share today than they've ever had. Nearly 70% of all energy consumed in our country, all from electricity to manufacturing to home heating to, to vacationing, 70% of that energy comes from just two sources, oil and natural gas, of which the United States is the largest producer in the world of both.
Ricky Renko Browning, if you will. Yeah, I just want to follow up on a few points that Chris made. He is spot on. When you look at what's going on with gas prices today and how that impacts every sector of our economy, everything we touch, our food prices, delivery for everything, you know, it's really a travesty of what's happening in our refining sector. The U.S. has the cleanest, most efficient, and most complex refining sector in the entire world. And we've had seven facilities that have either shut or are in transitioning to um, renewable or biofuels, which significantly decreases their capacity. We've lost about over 1 million barrels in the U.S. today. And at the same time, we've got Asia building refineries um, like you wouldn't believe. China is actually going to be um, producing more refined product or have more refineries than the United States by the end of this year. Um, so that's that's a worrying factor when you take into account the fact that demand is not going down. Oil and gas is not going away. All we've done is offshore our finished product. Um, so a little bit of a perspective on that and going back again to what Chris said about how um, energy is cheapest and most affordable if you can produce it locally, Utah is a little bit of a microcosm of that and a great example um, where that's exactly the case, at least for now. So a significant portion of the crude that we produce here in Utah is also refined right here in Utah. We've got five refineries um, in the state. So that product that we're producing is going to our refineries. It's supplying gasoline and diesel locally here in the state for heavy equipment. It's fueling the Salt Lake Airport with jet fuel. Um, you know, we're also exporting crude to the U.S. Gulf Coast, Gulf Coast now, um, and we're providing our neighbors finished products. So we have finished product pipeline deliveries into Nevada, Idaho, um, Washington, and Oregon. And that's really, uh, I think, critical. And if you look about power prices in the state of Utah, we've got the fourth lowest power price. And that's because the vast majority of our power is based on coal and natural gas coming straight from the state of Utah. Now, that's under threat. Um, you know, we're seeing federal policies that are artificially requiring shutdown of our coal baseload. Um, natural gas prices are going up because of supply demand. Um, and market economics. And so that's going to be changing. That impacts manufacturing, that impacts your price for home heating, that impacts your fuel prices and everything along the economy. And it's absolutely unnecessary. And you mentioned obviously the standards in the United States. Okay, let me, let me I'm gonna go to, to Tim, if you will. Um, but Tim, the, 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 um, the environmental standards in the United States are much higher than they are you know, with our counterparts overseas. Uh, talk about that, because as you heard uh, Ricky say, obviously China is, is building refineries at an alarming rate, and we can't control their standards. Yeah, it's a great point. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's really important to remember, um, even during the Obama administration, the Department of Energy, you know, obviously a Democratic administration looked at the the how you know the, the emissions quality for producing U.S. natural gas, and they found that U.S. natural gas is about five times cleaner than Russian, for example, Russian natural gas. So when you know when the Europeans when we're replacing Russian gas in Europe with with U.S. gas, not only is that better for our allies' national security. Um, because they don't have to rely on Russia and they can rely on a, uh, an ally like us, a reliable ally like us, but they're also getting cleaner gas. So we need to remember that when, when we're talking about exporting U.S. natural gas around the world, it's a tremendous asset for, for not only for us, for our economy, but for, for our allies. 
Um, the you know uh, EIA, which is a nonpartisan energy uh, analysis uh, group from the government, they looked and they said the reason why the U.S. has lowered its uh, nationwide emissions more than any other country since 2005 is transitioning from coal fire power generation to natural gas fire power generation. So if we can export that and, and have our allies do that around the world, that's going to help everybody. It's going to help our economy and it's going to help um, it's going to help worldwide emissions. So uh, it's an important thing to remember uh, to remind folks that natural gas is a real big asset that we should we should be utilizing. Tim, put this in perspective for just the listening audience. When you say five times cleaner, what does that mean? So what they looked at was actually the the methane that is leaked out during production. Um, and that that shows that the U.S. has some of the most cleanest produced natural gas in the world. Um, and when you look at folks like Russia, uh, they are not producing it, it, it as as cleanly. And there's more there's more leaked methane during that during that production process. And 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 so, having said that, so so Chris mentioned obviously, uh, you know, the refineries that closed. A lot of our listeners, obviously. Uh, a, a part of our core uh, listener base, they work at the, at the plants and the refineries. Um, they, they, of course, they used to get a lot more work. Unfortunately, the East Coast has lost about 70% of its refining capacity since 2009. And, and, and as we all know, the country's lost over a million barrels per day of refining capacity in the last few years. Question I'm, I'm going to ask Kathleen, are, are Inland crude producers worried about having a place to send their crude domestically. I mean, is is is, is this something you know you're talking about the policymakers, uh, and and if so, what are you telling them? Well, I think Ricky or Chris might know the refining sector a little bit better than I. But what we produce in um, North Dakota and Colorado and many other places across the United States is uh, light sweet crude. It has a lower sulfur content than say the heavy oils coming from uh, Venezuela or Canada. And so because it's so hard to permit refineries in the United States, our refineries haven't been as able to be as flexible to expand capacity to process that light sweet crude. So sometimes you'll hear um, politicians opposed to oil and natural gas talking about banning exports of crude oil. And that would cause global prices to increase because what we're doing now is we're helping to keep global prices down um, relative to what they would be otherwise um, because we can export some of that light sweet crude that we can't refine here. And that will keep the global price of oil down as well. But I'll let them talk about the refining sector a little bit more in depth than I can. Uh, Ricky, if you will. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. You know, every refinery is set up to basically eat a certain diet. It's set up for a certain type of crude. Um, and so the idea of, of an export ban would actually result in increased prices here as we would have stranded product. Um, and we would also have shortages of the, the type of crude that our refineries are set up to eat. I think the other challenge there is how difficult it is to permit any kind of infrastructure, particularly pipelines in the United States right now. So whether we're talking about gas or oil, um, you know, with refinery closures and production moving, it's really critical that we're able to move those products to where they need to get to. And right now that just isn't happening. Um, you know, we're seeing here in the state of Utah, the inability um, to expand existing natural gas pipelines actually resulting in us having to shut in or close wells 
when you produce oil, you get natural gas along with it. And if you can't get enough infrastructure um, to absorb that natural gas growth, you're, you're going to be reducing production. And that matters. That matters across the country in terms of energy prices. And you look at what goes into the price of gas, more than 80% of that is coming from the price of crude. So if we're not having um, robust crude production here in the States, that hits our gas prices very, very quickly. And that gets into a lot of concerns around federal policy, federal leasing, um, and our, our oil and gas space as well. This is the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. We're presented by PBF Energy. We'll take our uh, only break of this one-hour special. Back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know there are 6,000 products made from petroleum that we use every day? Products like candles, trash bags, fishing rods, shower curtains, paint, umbrellas, tennis rackets, and another 5,993. Did you know? First chartered in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. Operating engineers are are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Neuter Integrated Multicraft Contractors has been a force since 1896. That's right, 1896. And specializes in welding, piping, mechanical, structural, constructability reviews, project management, and rigging design services. For a free consultation, call Neuter at 314-421-7600. Neuter proudly serves petroleum refining, chemical processing, power generation, and alternative energy. Get in touch with Neuter at 314-421-7600. This program is paid for by Jacob Media partners. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. And back here on the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. Just one reminder, if you miss any of today's show, you can download the podcast. Just go to Apple or Spotify and search the Labor and Energy Show as we return four great guests as part of our uh, panel today, J-Doc, Kathleen Sagama, Chris Wright, Kim Tarpley, and Ricky Renko-Browning, all joining us for this special. Yeah, Joe, and, and it, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic conversation. Our goal is to educate the listeners 
uh, you know, who uh, many have really no idea uh, about the details. We're going to get into some pretty interesting stuff in, in this particular segment. We'll go to Chris and have him also follow up on our, our before we went to the break, the discussion on obviously the loss of, of uh, refining capacity and the concern of our crude producers about uh, having a place to send their, their crude domestically. Chris, if you will. Yes, look, I'm in the oil and gas production side of the business, not the refining side, but the refining side doesn't get spoke of enough. It's absolutely critical. Like I said, we're the largest oil and natural gas producer in the world. We're also the largest refiner of products. You take oil, out of that comes gasoline and diesel and jet fuel and heating oil and petrochemicals and all these things that make the modern world go round. But as Ricky just said, as we've shut down or transitioning to less efficient, more expensive, seven refineries in the United States, China's actually gonna pass us in total refining capacity. So how is it good for our environment that now we're gonna produce crude here, not be able to refine it, all those jobs are gone. We're gonna ship that crude across the Pacific Ocean to China where it's gonna be refined. And then we're gonna buy the diesel and gasoline back from China all in the name of being clean, this is just nonsense. But of course, yeah, this loss of seven American refineries over just the last couple of years, it's hard to overstate how destructive this is. Ricky rightly said that in general, 80% of the cost of gasoline is the price of oil, but that's not true with diesel today. We are short the US and the world diesel refining capacity. So diesel should be a dollar a gallon cheaper. And in the next year or so, it's probably going to get a dollar a gallon more expensive. That's not because of a shortage of oil and gas resources. It's because of a shortage of common sense. But shutting down the refining capacity in our country is going, is going to significantly hurt the United States. People are feeling it today. And wait till winter gets cold. We're distillates, which means heating oil and, and diesel fuel are just going to be inordinately expensive, even given the price of oil. This is We have no shortage of resources. We have a shortage of common sense in the political and regulatory front in this country. You know, it's in, as, as a layperson, not, you know, not really, obviously, uh, understanding of all the issues. It's very confusing and maybe Twilight Zone-esque when I hear that they may shut down our ability to export. But I wondered, I've wondered this a lot. I don't see anybody picketing uh, the ports, uh, you know, for the imports, you know, for the same products that we produce here in mass abundance, we're, 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 we're shutting ourselves down, shooting ourselves in the foot, and yet we're allowing imports to come in to, to undermine us. Where's that mentality come from? Well, it is, oh, go ahead. No, you go, Kathleen. It's, it's a misguided placement of, and I think there's a misperception about environmental issues. Um, there's this perception that we can just shut down oil and natural gas, and somehow that's going to make, uh, you know, that's going to address climate change. Well, in the absence of an alternative that does everything that oil and natural gas do, shutting down oil and natural gas will not make renewables thrive because they only do a small portion of what oil and gas do. Because remember, there's oil and petrochemicals and natural gas in your fertilizers, in your phone, in every single um, chip that is manufactured. 
Almost everything is manufactured with feedstock from oil and natural gas. Forget the fact that renewables don't address uh, mobility, transportation. Um, so there's this misperception that we can just transition to wind and solar and that oil and gas is bad. Well, they're, they're not bad because they provide the basis of modern life. So if we just shut it down, um, suddenly people are freezing in the dark because there's nothing that does everything we do. Tim? I was just gonna, Kathleen, you, I think you hit it right on the, on the nose there. You know, the European Union, you know, a few decades ago, they decided they wanted to, to, to curtail, shut down their domestic gas production and, and some of their oil production. And what, it, what happened? Well, it, they didn't stop using gas. They just had to import it from Russia. So they didn't they didn't change their their energy mix. They just changed where they were getting it from. So they ended up getting dirtier gas and also gas that that, that affected their foreign policy. They, it affected their their not only their energy security but their national security. So that didn't solve anything. I think the Europeans are, are finally coming around to realize that that was a mistake, uh, and that they they way miscalculated. And I fear that the United States could make that same mistake. I hope I hope we we've kind of seen the light. Uh, but but certainly the Europeans are reevaluating those those decisions they made. And and, and having said that, you know, a lot of the things we're talking about, you know, common sense is a key, right? And while we were while we were putting this show together, there was a situation, and this is a microcosm of everything. Um, you know, we're talking about, and I think it 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 it, it, it was Chris and and your organization, at Liberty Energy. Uh, I, I'd like to address something that. Uh, North Face uh, Apparel Company, okay? This is, to me, a microcosm of what the hell's going on in the entire country. And um, it, it's humorous, but it wouldn't have been humorous to Joe Krause and I two years ago, because we wouldn't have known the damn difference. Uh, we understand that, uh, you know, petrochemicals, fossil fuel, comprise five to 6,000 products, including renewables that we use on a daily basis that we clearly don't know that as a, as, as a public, we don't know, probably including the, uh, uh, you know, the, the environmentals, but definitely uh, the, the kitchen table environment. So let, let's talk a little bit about that North Face apparel situation. Tell our listeners what happened there, if you will. Yeah, so a, a couple of years ago, my wife and I are climbers, outdoor adventurers. A good friend of mine is a, is a world famous climber um, and actually works for North Face. And so three years ago, we bought 2,000 jackets to appreciate everyone in our company with a Liberty logo on it and a North Face logo. Um, it was a great thing. A year later, another company in our industry decided we're going to co-brand a North Face jacket as well. And I think different humans at North Face, but they said, no, we don't want to, we're not going to make jackets for you because we don't want to associate with your industry. Um, and that's just absolutely, yeah, to me, I just saw that as crazy, but also an opportunity to speak out. Uh, so I, I made a video and through some luck, you know, it ended up getting 6 million views. I actually had Japanese TV producers come to change their energy transition video because they learned something from that brief dialogue about North Face. But my message to North Face was, I got on their website, all of their products, all of their clothing is made out of oil and gas. Right, so Gore-Tex and Capilene and polypropylene, all that, the, all that stuff you wear, it actually is oil and gas. It's made out of oil and gas. The, the energy to, to transform those materials into the right form is all done using oil and gas as the energy source. 
And of course, the further, I think the height of the hypocrisy is it's made for skiing and snowboarding and mountain climbing and all these fantastic activities that no one did before the arrival of oil and gas because the world was too poor. No one had the ability to jump on a plane and fly across the country and get in a car and drive up to a beautiful chalet in the mountains and then go skiing. Those are activities that are unthinkable without the, the affordable energy, the greater wealth and the greater life opportunities made possible by oil and gas. And I should throw coal in there too. Coal's the biggest source of electricity on the planet. So yes, this sort of war against fossil fuels, but yet everything we do is impossible without them. That just don't go together. And didn't you thank them for being a, a, such a big customer? Uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, and, and we, the, uh, billboards and all those things. We we did. You know, first I chastised them, and then realized, well, people pay attention more. I actually, should thank them again because everything they do is enabled by oil and gas. So they they got our our most awesome customer award. We're actually going to give more awards across different. Uh, we're, we're actually going to take this further and give awards across industries, including environmental groups, and thank our most fantastic customer in the tech industry. F Facebook is by far the largest consumer of electricity in this country. Um, and the dominant source of electricity in this country is natural gas first and coal second. So all these companies that sort of pretend they don't like us, of course, they really love us because they can't do what they do without our products. Boulder, to jump right in, the wealthiest county in our in the state of Colorado, I live in Colorado, they're famous for adamantly being against oil and gas. But if you download like a quick look at the data, they're the largest per capita consumers of oil and gas in Colorado. They actually love us more than every other county. They just like to say that they don't love us. Ricky? I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's just a fantastic story, but something that we see crop up um, across the landscape. There's just a real disconnect, I think, for most people about what oil and gas means to their day-to-day -day lives. And I also think there's um, a huge disconnect or, or perhaps a misconception that our industry is anti-renewable. We're not. I think that we believe in robust American energy from every source because as our economy continues to grow, we're going to need all of the energy that we can get. Um, you know, this dichotomy of it's all renewables or all fuel, fossil fuels, I think is, is unnecessary, but people need to realize the density of the product, the energy density, the amount of energy that we get out of oil and gas and conventional fuels just can't be replicated with renewables. There's no large scale batteries that allow us to store it. So you're gonna see natural gas continue to grow to support those um, growths and renewables to be the, the backup bridge and the backup battery um, that allows us to be able to continue the light, to turn the lights on at night, for example. Tim, excuse the ignorance of this question. What are we doing? <laughs> well, I, I think the, I think that that Ricky hit, hit hit on you know hit it there is there's a there's a lot of misconceptions out there, you know the world in 1970 uh, there's this perception that oil and gas is going away, in in worldwide in 1970 62.2 percent of worldwide energy use was oil and gas in 2018 it's 54.4 percent. So we're talking about an energy expansion. Sure, renewables are more renewables are coming online. That's great. We need all the energy that we can we can produce. But oil and gas is not going away. And you've got billions of people all over the world that still live in energy poverty. We need to provide them 
energy so they can live the kind of lives that we live and we will. And primarily the way we're going to do that is through oil and gas. Renewables will be a part of it, but it's primarily going to be oil and gas. So we need to realize that and realize that um, that, 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 that the future is not, oil and gas is not going away. Uh, we're going to produce more energy, all kinds of energy, and oil and gas is going to be a big part of that. Yeah, and, and you know, it's one of my questions, and, and, and we're, we're answering it the entire show. What doesn't the public understand about the industry? Okay, the five to 6,000 products we use on a daily basis. We're, we're starting an initiative uh, called the Energy Education and Awareness uh, Initiative. And uh, ironically, you know, this becomes a big political uh, fight back and forth. We're Democrats, we're labor Democrats, okay? We don't care, and we're, we're sick and tired of the political fight. It's common sense and energy to us. We want our, you know, our friends, our family, people that normally would look, look at us and take our message in and listen to us every week um, to, 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 to have some common sense. This isn't political to us. This is, this is about our public welfare. We're, our, what's really insane about this is it's, it's really, you know, a lot of the things that we're talking about, in a sense, they, you know, they, they seem humorous in the, in the fact that, you know, people who are utilizing um, services and products and, and, and apparel and all that, made completely of our traditional energy resources, um, you know, that they're, they're, they're refusing to, to use a company's products because they're trying to boycott them. They don't even understand what they're doing. That's the least of it. We're shooting ourselves in the foot here, shutting down refineries and giving up potentially our energy independence. Um, and it almost seems like we're not gonna be happy until we do it. Uh, and so it's, it's getting out of hand. Kathleen, if you would, would you jump in there? Yeah, because I would, you know, I, I hear the, the refrain, you know, we're not opposed to wind and solar. And actually, natural gas enables wind and solar because you have to have backup wind and solar. But what we are against are these unrealistic, non-commonsensical policies that tell the public from an ideological lens that we can just get rid of oil and gas and then renewables will take over. It's not possible thermodynamically, mechanically, physically. I mean, it's just not possible with today's renewables. Now, that's not to say there's going to be some great technological invention in the future and we're going to have a brand new source of energy or maybe hydrogen will eventually take over. But best projections from the Biden administration's own Department of Energy, the EIA, is that oil and natural gas consumption will continue to rise through 2050. And that's, you know, with rosy projections of increased renewables as well. Mm -hmm. So when you hear that ideological, um, those ideological statements that we can, you know, we just should get rid of oil and gas because it's bad. That's what we're opposed to because it's just unrealistic. And like you're saying, J-Doc, it's just not, it's not common sense. And what's interesting is when you look at the United States and as far as our emissions footprint compared to the rest of the world, I think we're at like 13%. If we went dark today, we still couldn't control uh, what's going on around the globe in India, in China, Vietnam. But when you talk to people, they just say, oh, we're working on it. We have people behind the scenes creating relationships. Um, but in the meantime, you know, we're, 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 we're all in the, in the, we're on the tracks and the train is coming through and we're doing it to ourselves. Uh, Ricky, if you would, you want to jump in there? 
Yeah, I think that that's a fantastic point. You know, if you look at China and India together, they account for about 20% of the world's GDP, but they emit about 40% of the world's CO2. Compare that to the U.S. The U.S. accounts for more, about 24% of the world's GDP, but only 13 to 14%, as you just said, of global CO2. And the trends are, are really important here. China and India's CO2 footprint is rising. The U.S. is, is falling as our economy continues to grow. So for folks that care about climate change and that care about environmental progress, you should want to see as much American energy development as you possibly can, because that's going to drive down CO2 emissions and drive environmental performance. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a, a, a simple question. And in, in this process, since we started the Labor and Energy Show, like I said, seven months ago, after, by the way, two to three years of, you know, kind of dealing with some of these issues on the labor shows and, and having people come in to um, the broadcast. We've, I mean, to a person, the, the individuals from the energy sectors have, have passionately promoted their commitment to the environment and what we're doing here from a standards uh, perspective. I'm gonna ask each one is on the broadcast, starting with Kathleen, uh, do we care, does, does our energy uh, sector care about the environment? Are we committed to operating as safely and as cleanly as possible? Absolutely. We long ago, we adopted an environmental ethic, as has, I think, our society overall. You know, we're no different from the society. Um, we care. We're, we're out. I'm here in Colorado as well. We're out in the outdoors. Um, actually, our industry is the number one provider of conservation funds um, after the federal government. So we're doing our part to make sure that we're constantly reducing our footprint on the land, that we're constantly reducing the water that we use, that we're constantly reducing air emissions. And so we have a four day, uh, three decades long record of reducing methane emissions, for example. So we're constantly working in tech and innovating so that we do produce more efficiently and with less environmental impact. Chris Wright? Yeah, think of our industry. Most of the people that work in this industry, particularly those represented by Tim in the service sector, they grew up in rural America. They grew up on the land. They're hunter, fisher, outdoors people. So I think the environmental ethic, it's just bred into the nature of the people that grew up. I'm a longtime board member of an environmental group called PERP, Property and Environment Research Center. We've done huge things to bring fisheries back, to bring habitat back for elk and the restore, restoration of bears and wolves. Um, so in any case, yeah, I, I, it's funny. I think of no other industry more focused on the environment and honestly with, with, with more positive impact on the environment. What's great about oil and gas is that smaller footprint to produce the energy we all need. Northwestern North Dakota, so a small rural area, produces more oil than seven OPEC nations. But yet if you drove through there, we use about 1% of the land. The farm and ranch output, the wildlife, it isn't changed at all. The shale technology is tiny little footprints. You use a few acres and then drill three miles north and three miles south a small surface footprint to enable energy production. I also love your comment that energy should not be political. This is not a partisan political issue. 
This is just how best do we energize people's lives so they can live longer, healthier, better lives. It's just really a common sense thing. I point a lot of blame at our industry. We've been quiet and kept our heads down. Everybody said we're terrible for years and we just kept our heads down and took it. And now that, that you know, we should stand up as, as the others on this podcast are doing and just speak honestly about our thing. Part of the energy ignorance out there is our own fault. Yeah, and you know what? I will say this, having said that, I know we're going around the horn here, but a big part of what we're trying to accomplish here is the, the, the communication gap. Back, by the way, back a couple of years when PES Refinery was closing for no apparent reason, when we went to when we when we talked to the Boilermakers Union and and we talked to the uh, the Steamfitters Union, those are the the, the uh, primary unions in our area that work at the refineries, and we couldn't get our politicians online. What was the answer? The environmentalist groups were speaking louder than we are. Okay, we and 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 what's happening is there's a lack of communication. The language is not. It's, it, 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 there's a language gap there also. What we're trying to do, you know, through what we're doing right now with this summit is kind of show the faces of the places, introduce, to, you know, to, to, to the general public and regular every day, every day, uh, Joe's and, and, and Mary's that, hey, we're all we're all in it for the same reasons. And by the way, there's five to six thousand products we use on a daily basis educate people because no one is talking about the details shut it down you don't even know what you're talking about neither did i so having said that so the communication the public relations uh you know game we're getting our butts kicked and i say we because we're now in on it okay we're now we're now a part of it so uh, that's what uh, uh, ricky if you will yeah, you couldn't be more right. We've we've done a terrible job at communicating, uh, that's for sure. But, you know, I think one of the big differences there is that our industry works really hard to produce important things, whereas some of what's coming out on the other side is driven by sound bites, press releases, and tweets. Um, so the motivation is a, a little bit different there, but that's no excuse for the fact that we do need to stand up and better communicate what we're doing. You know, you were talking about environmental regulations. Let me tell you, or environmental performance, excuse me. Let me tell you a little story about something here in, in Utah that we've done that I think speaks to that. So the, the Salt Lake area um, is basically a bowl surrounded by mountains with a fast growing economy and lots of population growth, lots of vehicles. And we have really severe air quality challenges as you do in Denver and, and some other places in the West. And so voluntarily, without a regulatory requirement, our five refineries here agreed to produce a certain kind of fuel, it's called tier three, but what it does is it lowers air emissions in vehicle tailpipes. About 50% of the emissions that are driving our air quality challenge are coming from vehicles, really hard to regulate, really hard to do anything to improve that. So we voluntarily stepped up to the plate. We make a very um, special kind of fuel that reduces those vehicle emissions um, in newer cars by about 80%. That's the equivalent of taking about four out of five vehicles off the road. That wasn't a regulatory requirement to be done right here in Salt Lake. There were other ways to um, address that problem, but it's you know it's a little frustrating to say that the oil and gas companies don't care about the environment. They don't care about their local communities. There are so many ways that we demonstrate um, our community engagement, partnerships, and commitments um, that we do need to do a better job of of elevating and spotlighting. And and having said that, um, we have about a minute left, I think, Joe. 
Two minutes left. All right. Tim, if you will, um, take 30 seconds, and then we'll let uh, Kathleen take us home. Yeah, I just want to say what you all are doing here is so important, education. You know, I think most Americans, when they when they sit down and have a, have their cheeseburger, they have a pretty good conception of what it took to get that cheeseburger in front of them. But many Americans, when they turn on their lights or, or, or you know, start their car, they don't necessarily perceive exactly what it took to make that happen. The conversations like this, I think, are important to really help them understand that and uh, so we can all understand where we're going and where, where, what we need to do to get there. Absolutely. Kathleen, if you would, take us home. Well, really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation today. Um, I, I love the theme of this is not a partisan issue. This is a, a human issue. This is about energizing people, as Chris said, um, because, you know, you take away everybody's smartphone and their job, which probably relies on computers and their ability to get to school or work. You know, that's not how anybody wants to live. So we need to we need to you know, address and continue to improve the environment, continue to drive down global greenhouse gas emissions, but just taking it away from humanity is not the way to go. And sending those jobs overseas, <clears throat> it's absolute, I mean, it's just insanity. Absolutely. Joe well, that's that's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. Special thanks to Kathleen Sagama, Chris Wright, Tim Tarpley, and Ricky Renko Browning, all joining us, J Doc, for our Western Summit. I have 30 seconds, J Doc, and I'll give you closing word. You know, I just want to thank everybody for joining us on the broadcast. Um, now, you know, this, this broadcast is going to air, you know, up, up the East Coast over the weekend. And the responses that we've been getting uh, from individuals that really would surprise you um, that, you know, are learning, obviously, that we have to work together. Uh, to, to maintain our, our traditional energy resources, obviously to to, to introduce uh, renewables into our you know in, in, into our energy sources, and so and and, and the fact that we're, we're educating people and we're not talking jargon, we're talking facts because we care about uh, not only our workforce and our industry but the general public. So, on behalf of uh, all of our listeners, I want to thank all of our guests for being here. It's not a, a, a political issue. It's not a union issue. Like Kathleen Sagama said, it's a human issue. Thanks. That was, a that, that was a long 30 seconds, Jay Doc. That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show. On behalf of Jay Doc, I'm Joe Krause, and all of our guests today. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson before the upcoming midterm elections and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded.